0: listening to the Northside Christian Church sermon podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Well, in his book, The Screwtape Letter, C.S. Lewis tells a story. It's a legend, of Satan and his demons, and they're scheming together because they're trying to find ways to thwart God's plan, to attack people and, and hinder people from hearing of the gospel and of salvation. And so they're strategizing together, how are we going to do this? How are we going to keep God's plan from coming to people? And so as they did this, one demon spoke up. Uh, of course, in C.S. Lewis's book, he calls them imps. That's what he calls them. But one imp uh, spoke up. And this demon said, I know, I'm, I'm going to plant a thought in people's mind and tell them that there is no heaven. And Satan says in that moment, that, that, that's not going to work because, I mean, first of all, people are looking forward and anticipating heaven and, and the Bible talks so much about heaven and so many people buy into that idea of an afterlife. I, I don't think that's going to work. So then another demon, this imp speaks up and, and, uh, and this demon said, well, I, I'm just going to plant the thought in people's mind that there is no hell. There's no hell. And Satan thinks on that for a moment and says, well, that's not probably going to work. I mean, first of all, Jesus himself talked more about hell than he even did about heaven. And people have this sense of of feeling guilt and shame and of being wrong. And I don't think that's going to work either. And finally, this third demon, probably the most brilliant of the bunch, said, I've got a plan. I've got a strategy I think will work. Satan said, what is it? And he said, I'm just going to plant the thought in people's mind. There's no hurry. There's no hurry. And Satan chose him. Satan chose his method. C.S. Lewis presents this idea of Satan and his demons scheming together. And, and I just find it interesting to me that this whole concept of no hurry is one that we've bought into on on one hand this idea there's no hurry to to pursuing god to following god i mean you got time to do that it's not something you need to do today you've got time for that there's no hurry to turn from that sin or give up that addiction or stop that sinful bad habit in your life I mean, not today there's another day for that There's time for that. There's no hurry to make things right between you and God or even between you and other people. There's no hurry for that. There's there's going to come another day for that. There's no hurry. You're okay. Not right now. You got time. And and it's interesting to me that we as people who are probably the most busy, hurried people of any generation. I mean, we we, we live hurried lives. We, We are in a hurry all the time. That we have, if if there's one thing that we've bought into is this lie that C.S. Lewis would present coming straight from the pits of hell, that when it comes to the most important things in life, especially your salvation, your relationship with God, your relationship with others, there's no hurry. And just to think that we've bought into that is is mind-boggling to me. My wife and I, we've joked for years and joked for quite some time that we have a a particular child in our family that even if we are feeling rushed, uh, they never act like they're in a hurry. Their pace is the same. I don't think they know how to kind of speed it up. And we're always like, you know, you could pick up the pace a little. We're we're feeling rushed, but there's like one speed. And, And we've always laughed about that. Now, eliminating hurry from your life is actually a very critical element to growing deeper in your relationship with God. But that's another topic for another time. So the point that I'm just making today is if you're going to hurry, if you're going to hurry, hurry to God. I think that's really, if I were to say, what am I going to sum up everything I'm going to talk about today? It's if you're going to hurry, you need to hurry to God. And I want us to look at this from Jeremiah chapter 18. If you have a Bible or device, open up to that. We're in our year of Bible engagement. We're reading through the Bible. Maybe some of you have gotten lost. Maybe you, you faded out. This is a great time to jump back in. In fact, we got new cards at Next Steps uh, that start the month of July. And so you'll want to pick that up and, and get in, just jump in with where we are. And, and we're in this book of Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah 18, the southern kingdom of Israel was in no hurry, at least no hurry to turn from their sins. They were in no hurry to pursue God. There was no sense of urgency. In fact, what they had was a false sense of security. And, and I want us to read about this in Jeremiah 18, where God gives a word to Jeremiah, and here's what, what God says here. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house. And there I will, I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house. And I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter. So are you in my hand, Israel, if at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed. And if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I'd planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I intended to do for it. Now therefore say to the people of Judah, those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I'm preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, And reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans and we'll all follow the stubbornness of our evil hearts. Jeremiah 18, God sends Jeremiah to the potter's house, to the potter's wheel, where God, as the potter, as the creator, is fashioning and forming his people, Israel. And there as he forms them, this God is sovereign. He can also break it down and form it again to to be created, To what he created them to be, he can do as he pleases. And God is promising Israel, if you would repent, if you would turn back from your evil ways, then I will not continue to bring the judgment that I'm declaring on you. I will relent from bringing the calamity. Instead, I will bring blessing to you. What God is saying to his people is we have in this relationship with God, he responds and reacts according to our response. And and so we have a role to play in this. And God is saying, look, the clay is still wet. If you would repent, if you would confess your sins, if you would turn to me, I, I will fashion you something beautiful. But if you don't, that clay will only harden. And when it hardens, Because of your hardened heart and the callousness of your heart, you will be destroyed. Time is running out. And to illustrate the sense of urgency, we get to Jeremiah chapter 19. We're going to fly fast through several chapters today. In Jeremiah 19, God told Jeremiah, I want you to go buy a clay jar. This is a flask for carrying water. And I want you to take this jar to the valley of Ben-Hinnom just outside the potsherd gate. And just when God says that, we we know what he's talking about. The potsherd gate, potsherd means broken pieces of pottery. It's where you go to dump out the broken pieces. It's where you go. It was a dump. He says, I want you to go to the gate, the gate of the dump, the one where they, they toss out the broken pieces. And I want you to take this clay flask that you buy with you, to that gate. We're going to hear in a moment what he does with it. And in Jeremiah 19.3, God says, listen, I'm going to bring a disaster on this place that will make the ears of anyone who hears it tingle. If your ears tingle, it's he doesn't mean this in a good way whatsoever. Your ears are tingling because you can't believe what you're hearing. Why is God bringing judgment? Why is he bringing such a, a bad word to his people? Because they had forsaken him. They had worshipped foreign gods. They were worshipping idols. They were burning incense to these gods. Gods that their ancestors never knew. And then he goes on to describe the horrors that they were committing. He said, you're shedding innocent blood. You're burning your children in the fires as an offering to Baal, to Molech, to these false gods. They were killing their children to worship their false gods. And here's what God says. Something I did not command or mention Nor did it enter my mind. The evil that we come up with, the evil that we do and we see people do in this world. God's going, how do you even think of this stuff? He says, so beware. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer call this place Topheth or the valley of Ben-Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And in Jeremiah 19, what God goes on to describe will tingle your ears. It will mess with you because he talks about how they're going to die by the sword, and they're going to die by disease, and they're going to die by starvation, and they're going to turn to cannibalism whenever Babylon comes in and takes siege of the city, and they starve them out, and they're going to eat each other's flesh. It's very graphic what Jeremiah 19 goes on to describe. And after describing it in Jeremiah 19, to dramatize this message, God tells Jeremiah this. He tells him, take that jar, that one I told you to buy, that clay flask. I want you to go out right there to the valley. I want you to go through that potsherd gate and I want you to smash it on the ground, signifying the punishment and the destruction that's coming to Judah and to the city of Jerusalem. I mean, these are harsh, difficult words. And here's what the potter's house, here's what the potter's will. Here's what the clay is saying to us today. It's a warning. And here's the warning. Clay can be repaired when wet. But once dried, a marred vessel is only fit for the garbage heap. Judah's heart had become so callous, the nation of, of Judah there, of the southern king of Israel, so callous, so hard, the warning was clear. Their time for repentance was here, now. It's time. Your time is running out. It's running out for the people of Judah. God's judgment was at hand. It was so imminent. It was right here. And to illustrate this point, here's what God does through Jeremiah. In fact, look back at chapter 16 of Jeremiah chapter 16. God tells Jeremiah, there's three don'ts I'm not going to allow you to do. So Jeremiah's life is going to become an illustration of how imminent God's judgment is. So in Jeremiah 16, here's what he tells Jeremiah for him personally. Don't marry. Maybe Jeremiah wanted to marry. Don't marry. Because your spouse and any, any children that you have, they will go through disease, they will experience the sword, or they will experience starvation when the Babylon enemy comes. It is imminent, it's coming. Do not marry. You need to show people how close this is. They need to repent now. Then he tells Jeremiah, don't enter the house where a funeral meal was being eaten or show sympathy at funerals. You know how hard that would be when, when friends of yours experience the death of a loved one, and you're like, "I'm not going." I'm not coming to your funeral meal. I'm not going to the funeral. I'm not coming to the graveside service. I'm not going to be there. Why would you do such a thing? And Jeremiah's life is illustrating for those people right then and there because the survivors of what's about to come, will find no one to console them in their grief. Jeremiah is a living example of what's coming because God is bringing the ends of of the sounds of joy and gladness because Israel had become what the nations were around them and the atrocities that they were committing were heartbreaking. And then God says this, number three, to Jeremiah, don't enter a house where there is feasting. Is there joy there and people are eating and being glad and experiencing merriness in that place? Don't go in there. Why? Because this place is not going to be a merry place. It's not going to be a glad place because Babylon is coming to overtake them. Even Jeremiah's life is an example of an imminent judgment is coming. Repent now. Time is running out. When you look back to Jeremiah chapter 7, and by the way, through the book of Jeremiah, it's not written in chronological order, and I'm not even trying to go in chronological order, but I'm just talking about these events that illustrate how imminent this is. In Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 1, God summoned Jeremiah He summoned Jeremiah to come stand at the entrance of the temple as people were coming to worship. I'm picturing kind of like when you walk in on a sunny morning and you come through the doors in, in to, to worship the Lord in this place, in this house. And you come through those doors to worship and you've got the north side greeters right there are people who love you and welcome you. And like you belong here shaking your hand and they got smiles on their faces. They even have the lanyards, you know, they're like gre- greeting you like, it's OK, I'm not weird. You know, good morning. Good to see you. You know, and that kind of thing, which, by the way, don't you appreciate them when they do that every week? Just love of people. So we do appreciate that. So I want you to imagine for a moment you you come in like you did today And you walk in and there's that smiling face Good morning, great to see you No, that's not what you experience Imagine you walk in and you experience what God tells Jeremiah to do He's the door greeter You come in to worship And he told Jeremiah to stand there at the door as you're walking in And Jeremiah didn't have the lanyard on He didn't need it There was no smile on his face either Here's how he greeted you Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come, and then have the audacity to come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we're safe. We're safe to do all the detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a dim of robbers to you? I've been watching, declares the Lord. Welcome to Northside. Some greeting. Okay, that's how they came to worship that day. Why? Because they assumed this talk from Jeremiah about God coming to destroy and to punish. God's temple is in Jerusalem. His presence is manifested there. He would never let the place where his presence resides be destroyed. The city of his own people, Jerusalem, he would never allow that to be destroyed. Nah, we're safe here. No harm's going to come to us here. The problem was with that is they didn't realize God doesn't value buildings over obedience. In fact, God never even commanded us as his church to build buildings. Buildings. Nowhere in the scriptures does it tell us to build buildings. He told us to make disciples. You don't even need buildings for that. Thank goodness because in most of the world where the gospel is thriving and multiplying, they don't have buildings. They're not allowed to. This building could go away. And I think God would actually be okay with that. If his people are in obedience to him. But his people were not. They were rebelling against him and turning away from him. Then they would come into worship because it is a safe place. And they would sing their songs and they would give their prayers and and they would give their attention to him. But God was watching. He saw the hypocrisy of their worship, saw them saying, we're safe. And Jeremiah is proclaiming as loud as he can as they come into worship, you're not safe here. Destruction is coming and God is waiting for you to repent He's waiting for you to turn to the Lord because you're going your own way. It's coming. You're not safe here. And in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 20 and 22 to 29, God's wrath, he says, it's going to be poured out on this place because they're disobedience. And he says, but you're stiff-necked and you're not listening and you're not paying attention. In fact, back in Jeremiah 5, verse 12, he says, they have lied about the Lord. They said, he will do nothing. No harm will come to us. We will never see sword or famine. And and here's what I want to come out of this with, a truth that I think we need to make sure that we're paying attention to today, because this is true of us just as it was true of them. Never assume you're in a safe place while you're living in disobedience. If you're living in disobedience to God, you are not in a safe place. Never assume it. Well, I'm saved because I go to church and I worship and I pray and I read my Bible. I believe in Jesus. Well, Jesus is watching you. God is watching you. and. His wrath will be poured out on those who refuse to listen to him, to obey him, to follow him, to repent of their sin, to embrace truth. And and this attitude that we see here among the Israelites of peace and safety, we're okay, not today, no hurry, no sense of urgency. It's exactly what the Bible says is going to be going on when Jesus returns. And I think it's really important for us to see this because we look at the history of Israel and we know judgment was coming because we've got the benefit of history to say it came. Babylon came and yep, it happened. But the Bible is saying God's story is continuing and you know what? Judgment is coming for us too. And that attitude is the same. First Thessalonians 5, here's what Paul said in First Thessalonians 5, 2 through 3. He says, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The day of the Lord, that's the last day, judgment day. It's coming like a thief in the night when Jesus comes back. He says, While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. He's saying, People that are living in the year in which we live right now are just like the people in the first century who are just like the people of 600 BC when Jeremiah was addressing that nation who say, There's no hurry, we got time peace and safety. He's saying time is running out. You're closer to judgment today than you were yesterday. You better be ready and quit taking the approach that there's no hurry. I got time. While everything's falling apart around you, we have a false sense of security. And what I want to do today, I just want to give you several important reminders about judgment. It's one thing to look back in scriptures at others who went through the judgment of God. It's another when we realize we too will face the judgment of God. What does this mean for us? And I think there's some things that are really important because this has everything. This matters a great deal. This has to do with our eternal salvation, our eternal security. It's everything. And the first thing I want to mention to you is this. Every one of us, every one of us will face judgment. Judgment. Each and every single person who's hearing my voice right now will face judgment. We have God's word on it from both the Old and New Testaments, every one of us. In the Old Testament, it says, for God will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it's good or evil, good and evil, will be brought to judgment. In the New Testament, just as people are destined to die once, okay, we know that's a reality, and after that to face judgment, oh, every person will die once and then face judgment. That's Hebrews 9.27. Or how about this, 2 Corinthians 5.10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Every one of us will stand before God in judgment. And and that is Christians and non-Christians, believers and non-believers. We will all stand before God. No exceptions to this. You will be held accountable for what you have done. Now, this doesn't mean that for those of you who are believers or Christians in Christ you need to now be going, you know, facing judgment, tr- just trembling in fear because you're saved by grace through faith. But you will still be held accountable for what you, there, there is judgment for what you have done. And I, I don't want to, I want to explain that because this can get confusing. And what I say next is going to sound confusing at first. God's judgment, and this is rooted in scripture. God's judgment will focus on deeds. God's judgment will focus on your deeds that you've done, both good and bad. We are saved by grace through faith, but judged by works. Does that sound confusing? It shouldn't be. It won't be when we're done here. But let me tell you what this means. Your deeds are the objective evidence of your faith. You're judged by your deeds, but God is working backwards to your heart. He's looking at your heart, the motive of your heart, the affection and love of your heart, the commitment of your heart. Who do you love? Who do you follow? He's looking at your deeds and working backwards to that because our deeds are an expression of our belief, of our faith, of our love, of our allegiance. That's why Jesus would say what you did for the least of these or did not do, you did or did not do for me and you're judged accordingly for what you did. A heart that is filled by faith, with faith, will try to do whatever God wants. It's not perfect. We're messed up. We've sinned. But that kind of a heart that's following God will want to please him and do what he says and what he commands. Because deeds are used to reveal the motive of your heart. Jesus said, if you love me, you will. A lot of you may know this verse. If you love me, you will what? You'll obey what I command. So your, your works, your deeds, what you do is working backwards to the heart to show, do you love God? Do you follow God? Do you have faith in God? Because saving faith is a commitment to do the will of Christ. If you love me, you'll keep my command You do what I say. It's why James said, if, if you, if, if you have, if you say you have faith, but there's no works, then it's dead. It's dead faith. It's not even alive. It's not even real because it will produce itself in good works. Ephesians two says that we're saved by grace through faith. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ to do good works. It's going to reveal itself. So our good deeds reveal a heart for God. It's evidence of our faith. It, it, it's an objective evidence. It shows that. So then the question becomes, well, what about our bad deeds? Because we all have them. What about the bad deeds? What about those? If you are a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you've been saved, here's what you need to know about even your bad deeds. Even your bad deeds present the opportunity to testify on your behalf. And you're like, how does that happen? Here's how it happens. Because a heart filled with repentance will deal honestly with sin. In other words, God will look at the bad deeds and he'll look backwards to the heart and he will see someone who is sorrowful, who's confessed, who's asked for forgiveness, who wants and has repented from those sins to pursue him. What he sees is someone who's broken and who has sinned, but he sees someone whose heart is broken because of their sin and wants to please him and asks for forgiveness and repents and and is pursuing him. And in that way, even your sins will testify on your behalf because when it's brought up, there's apology, there's forgiveness, there's repentance, and it reveals your heart which is why God emphasizes so much throughout Scripture the importance of repentance. Because repentance counters sin on Judgment Day. Repentance counters sin. Which is why if you don't repent, time is running out. Now, if my heart shows repentance, so if I've done wrong, but I show repentance, it reveals my heart, there's a problem I still have, which is I'm still guilty, right? (laughs) I've still sinned and I'm broken and I have wronged the creator and I've sinned against God and rebelled against him. I'm still guilty because of my sin. And this is where the blood of Jesus and his atonement, the cross comes in. It's in this moment when I've put my faith and my trust in Jesus, the one who paid for my sins, who was the substitute for my sins, who became the ransom for my sins, the one who died in my place that I could be forgiven. when, When in that moment, I'm still guilty before God. It's in that moment, I need the blood of Jesus and his atonement to cover my sins. This is demonstrated in scripture for us. And I want us to look at it. It's in Revelation chapter 20, 11 through 15. And this is an incredible text that shows that there is no conflict between being justified by faith and being judged according to works. You see both in play in this verse, I want you to see this together, where Jesus reveals this to us. He gives this vision to John, and John tells us what he sees in this moment, what is to come. And here's what we see. Revelation 20, 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books, notice the plural, books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as described in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation suggests that there are two stages through which we all pass in the final judgment. One is judgment according to the books. These are the books that contain the deeds, everything good and bad that we've done, and our judgment will be based on the books that are open. But there's another judgment, and it's according to the book of life. The Lamb's book of life. The book of deeds is not the final determination of each person's fate. The final determination of each person's fate is based on the Lamb's book of life. And the idea seems to be that after that first phase of judgment, the one according to works, to your deeds, no one is found worthy to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You're not worthy to enter in because you're guilty because there's sin there, but when the lamb's book of life is consulted and your name is found there where you have not trusted in your works and your deeds to save you, but instead you've trusted in the lamb, the 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 lamb that was slain, you've trusted in Jesus who who came to pay the price for you, if you have done that and accepted and received God's offer of grace, then you will be admitted into the kingdom of heaven because you're in the Lamb's book of life. That's the book that matters. But there's these deeds that are also open where you're judged according to what you have done. But the Lamb's book of life, that is the one that will allow you to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Look, your works on earth, they are not perfect. We all know it. But those works show that you loved the lamb, you believed the lamb, you trust in the lamb. Not all of them, for sure. And that's why you need his forgiveness and his grace, his blood to cover you. That's why your faith is in him to save you, because of the lamb's book of life. You trust the lamb. And if your name's found in that life, you're not thrown, I mean, in that book, you're not thrown into the lake of fire. That book and that book alone will determine as to who will be in heaven which is where God is and who will be in hell, which is the absence of God. And when you think on that and what that means, I think there's several things that that means for us today. First of all, it means this. This means that if you're hearing God's word right now today, if you can hear my voice right now, it means there's still an opportunity to turn to the Lord and to repent. It means the clay may still be wet. It means that perhaps your heart is not so hardened or calloused against the voice of God and the things of this world that you can hear Him saying to you right here, right now. The time is drawing near. Time is running out. You need to confess your sins and repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And every person who believes to put their trust in Jesus Christ, you need to respond in that moment by surrendering your life to him and being baptized into Christ. And if you've not yet done it, the voice of God today is saying, there's a chance right now. Do not assume safety when you leave this place. Don't assume that you have more time. You need to quit living a hurried life and you need to hurry to Jesus. Hurry to him, and and don't procrastinate repentance. Don't procrastinate repentance, because in so doing, you're dismissing the weight that your deeds carry. They reveal your heart. So don't procrastinate repentance. And you need to know this: God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Why is Jesus not returned yet? Because He's patient, waiting, not wanting anyone to perish. The Word of God says His patience, though, is limited. There will come a time when judgment will come. And God told his people that through Jeremiah. God is telling us that through not only his prophets, but through the apostles and through his word, even through Jesus himself. He's telling us this today. And what I want you to know is though the weight of our sin is real and time is running out. I, I want to make sure that today, while it's heavy, because Jeremiah and his book is heavy, I want you to know that that like in Jeremiah 16, where where God, even after telling his people what's to come with their judgment, he declares that the days are coming when he will restore his people back to the land of their ancestors. It's like, even as God tells him judgment's coming, he's saying, but there is hope. I, I'm, I'm going to restore you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring you back. And And that aligns even in Revelation chapter 2 where God declares that the day is coming when those who have remained faithful, even to the point of death, will receive the victor's crown. The day is coming. If you would turn to the Lord and be faithful to him, the day is coming when you receive that crown of life, when you receive Jesus himself, when you get to enter into a new heaven and a new earth, the day is coming. It's like all throughout scripture, God is still giving us hope. Even in these moments when it can begin to feel hopeless, even when judgment is at hand, there's still hope. There's hope of eternal life. There's hope of a better future. There's hope that God can bring forgiveness and he can redeem and restore what is broken and destroyed in your life. He can do that. And today, if you would be wet clay in the hands of the potter, he can mold you into what he's created you to be. If you would lean into him, if you would trust him, if you would hold fast to him, if you would lean into him, if you would confess him as your Lord and Savior, there is still hope. You are saved. By grace. And grace means hope at judgment. That even in those moments when you know you've sinned against Him and you've been guilty in those sins, there's hope at judgment knowing that your faith is in Jesus who will forgive you of your sins. He will clothe you with His blood. He, he has forgiven you through His death. And so, yes, Jeremiah is a tough book, but there is always hope when you read through it. Hope of a better future, hope of redemption. And this is the hope that we're leaning into today. And I want to take just a few moments right now, in this moment, to just call out on the name of the Lord. Let this be a moment where we turn to our hope and turn away from our sin. And so Jesus, in this moment, I would hope that there is an awakening in our own hearts, and our own spirit of our desperate need to turn to you Lord would you give us a sense of urgency Lord would you move us to a quicker pace of hurry to you We hurry to your heart we we hurry to your forgiveness we hurry to your redemption we hurry to your salvation Lord, knowing that without you, we are dead in our sins. We're separated you for, f- forever. We hurry to you because, Lord, we want our name to be in that book of life. And it's it will never be in there if Jesus is not our Lord and Savior. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So, God, would you create in us right now a moment to reflect on the things that are hindering us, the things that are bogging us down, the things that are separating us from you that we need to repent of and confess. And so, church, right now, just with your eyes closed, would you just reflect on that for a moment? What are those things right now that you need to leave behind and confess and repent of so you can turn back to the Lord? Would you just allow the Spirit to reveal them to you right now? God, we confess these sins to you. Lord, we turn to you. May we have a changing of the mind today where we turn from our past and we look to a better future with you. Would you come in to heal and to restore and to redeem us? Lord, please forgive us of our sins and may we chase after you and putting our hope in Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. It's in the name of Jesus, we pray. And all people say, amen. Let's uh, stand to our feet today. If you would just stand to your feet right now. I just want to invite you, if today you want to make that decision to confess your sins, to believe in Jesus, to repent of those sins, to turn back to Him. And submit to him to be your king and lord to be baptized into christ i want to invite you to come right now i'm going to be stepping out to decision point i'd love to meet you right out there if you're watching online just go to northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision to begin that conversation and and also let this be a moment of response to the lord where we give all we have to him our heart our soul our mind our bodies but also may this be a time we can give to him what he's given to us so in an act of worship today may you give to the lord into his kingdom advancement. And you can do that by following what's on the screen. Or if you're in this room, you can just give it the boxes at the back as you leave. But let that be an act of worship between you and the Lord today. And as we sing, may we be mindful, yes, in the weight of judgment, that we have a God who's making a way out. We have a God who's setting us free, redeeming us, giving us hope. May you carry that with you as you go forward this week. As we sing, I'll meet you right over here. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you are here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.